This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Arthur Snell. A major war is taking place on the European continent with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We'll be releasing a series of special episodes to help you understand the background to this crisis as it unfolds. This is Doomsday Watch. In late January, we brought you an emergency episode on the evolving crisis between Russia and Ukraine. There was uncertainty about whether Vladimir Putin's Russia could really be crazy enough to invade a country the size of France with an experienced military. One month on, that debate is over. We wanted to get back in touch with Romeo Kokriatsky, host of the Ukraine Without the Hype podcast. When we last spoke to Romeo, he was in his hometown of Kiev. He's now with his family in western Ukraine, one of hundreds of thousands displaced by the conflict. We'll also hear from British-based Ukrainian Artyom Lys, whose native city of Kharkiv is under Russian bombardment as we record this. Okay, we're joined from Ukraine by Romeo Kokriatsky. Good morning, Arthur. Thanks for having me again. Romeo, the last time we spoke, you were in Kiev. We were talking about whether or not Russia might be stupid enough to invade your country. They've now done that. Can you talk us through what's happened to you in that uh, period of, of the last two weeks? Sure. Well, if you can recall from our previous conversations, Arthur, uh, I'm not going to say I told you so, but this was definitely something I saw coming. Um, and the invasion was less of a surprise to me than perhaps uh, to others. So I was able to send uh, my wife to my hometown of Vinitsa. It's about it's a city about 300 kilometers southwest of Kiev. About a week before the actual full-scale invasion commenced, um, and I myself started moving uh, to Vinitsa about two days after zero day. Once it was clear that the invading Russian forces may try to swing around and head through the suburb um, in Kiev that I lived. Normally, it's about a uh, three and a half hour drive. Um, in this case, it took me about 12 hours and three forms of transport. But eventually, uh, I was able to make it here. And it's about as safe as you can get in the country at the moment. Well, it's it's good to hear that you're in what is a relatively safe place. Um Tell us about what you understand to be the situation now in Kiev. So we're talking on the morning of March the 1st. So as far as I've been able to gather, and again, uh, this is a war and the fog of war is a very real thing. From what I can gather myself, uh, numerous missile strikes have impacted uh, residential neighborhoods in Kiev. Uh, as well as various military facilities located uh, right outside Kiev or in the suburbs. I believe there is still a pretty long convoy. I don't want to um, 
comment on the the definite length of this convoy because I've seen conflicting reports. But there is a very long convoy snaking down from the uh, Belarusian border uh, to Kiev, and Kiev is very close to the Belarusian border. Um, it is like an hour and a half, two hours drive. So this massive convoy is is causing a fair bit of, of consternation as we watch it kind of snake its way towards Kiev. And then if we talk about other cities, it, it's right to, of course, start with the capital city, but other cities in Ukraine have been taking it even harder. Uh, Kharkiv, Mariupol, Odessa. What, what's your, your sort of broad understanding of the state of play in, in the major cities? Uh, Kharkiv is absolutely devastated. Um, the city has not been leveled, but um, I'm sure at least some of your listeners, Arthur, have seen the videos uh, going around, uh, making rounds on social media of Russian missiles and rocket attacks on completely residential civilian areas in Kharkiv. Uh, the center of Kharkiv, their central square, has been hit. There has been a lot of dump bombs released by uh, the Russians onto Kharkiv, many of which didn't explode, but this is still ordnance. doesn't mean they won't explode later, um, just like the Russians did in Syria. Um, there's also confirmed reports of cluster munitions being used indiscriminately in uh, residential areas throughout the country. I believe the confirmed report is from Sumy Oblast, uh, which is in the far northeast of Ukraine, right against the Russian border. Yeah. Uh, as for the other cities, uh, I believe Odessa is still under shelling. Mariupol is holding its own. Um, but it seems like the Russians' current strategy is to try and encircle or pose a significant threat to both Kiev and Kharkiv in order to gain an upper hand uh, during the peace negotiations. That I guess you could say began yesterday. Otherwise, it seems most of the active operations against other cities have been stopped. Of course, the Russians are are holding uh, much of the territory north of the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, As they inch their way from Crimea to uh, Mariupol, the Russians have always wanted to get this territory, so they have a land connection between the peninsula and the Donbass front line itself. Yeah. So I think there's a broad consensus that uh, this war has not gone very well for Russia. Now, again, that doesn't mean that the sheer strength of Russian arms will not uh, be able to prevail in the medium or long term. But the very, very strong resistance of the Ukrainian military and, of course, of civilian volunteers and also the leadership both of President Zelensky, but also other uh, national leadership figures in your country, has really had a huge impact. And the contrast between Zelensky shooting candid uh, selfie videos and Putin hidden away in some invisible bunker at the end of a 50-meter table speaks for itself. Um, So first, as, as a Ukrainian living in Ukraine, what is your perspective on uh, the performance of your own country's leadership and how that has empowered your country's resistance? I am definitely on the cynical side when it comes to authority figures. I never had much truck with them. Um, but I have to say Zelensky is making it very hard not to admire the man. As you pointed out, Putin is hidden somewhere, God knows where. 
Um, and Zelensky is posting basically this video standing in front of Bankova in the middle of Kiev uh, while staring down missiles and invasion force that will absolutely make his lack of survival their priority, I guess. Yeah. So it's definitely been something, um, something admirable, and it definitely um, has even brought me, as cynical as I am, um, a measure of comfort because I know that uh, this person is suffering through the same things we are and is facing the same thing, the same risks that his his people are. Yeah. And the Ukrainian people have have noticed this. I believe his approval rating has broken ninety percent, which. Um, has to be, if not unprecedented for a democratic leader, has to be way, way up there in the rare events. Definitely. So we're all definitely supportive and and pretty impressed by Zelensky's behavior uh, so far in this conflict. I guess the harder question is what this means the Russians are likely to do. Now, you've already talked us through Kharkiv and the evidence of indiscriminate shelling of the use of cluster munitions and other basically, you know, war crime activity. And as difficult it is to talk about, it seems quite plausible that that is what is coming down the road to Kiev. There's a question there about what is the right path, both for a country's leadership, but also for its citizens in the face of an army that has, well, a military that has a very troubling track record in terms of its treatment of civilians and its lack of respect. Uh, what what are your reflections on that? And I, you know, I just want to reiterate, I, this is not an easy topic, but it seems to me it's a necessary one. Yeah, I've, honestly, I've been wrestling with this question a lot um, myself. And one of the questions I keep posing to me is, at what point do would my contributions as a soldier outweigh the contributions I'm able to make as a journalist? Um, yeah. And I, I honestly have not been able to to find an answer. Maybe that's because I'm a coward. I have no desire to take up arms and kill other human beings. No. At the same time, I have no desire to give up my land or to um, allow my 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 fellow countrymen, my friends, and my family, and everything I love. Um, to come to risk. So I honestly, I don't know. Like, to to be honest, what we're seeing now with the indiscriminate bombing was, in my initial assessment prior to the invasion starting, um, I thought that's what they would open up with. Um, at the same time, now that we have had this um, experience of resistance, and I know it's only been... It seems insane to say six days. It feels like it's been, I can't even remember what peace was like at this point. Yeah. Um, but we, 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 we've had this experience of unity and of resistance. And every, every person I speak to is just impressed and ready to help as much as they can um, to provide for the war effort. So at this point, even if the Russians will start um, switching to the tactics they used in Syria, um, the tactics they used against Grozny and against Aleppo, um, I think uh, they missed their chance to really cause Ukrainians to panic. And at this point, regardless of what happens, um, even if Kiev is taken, Ukrainians will not be demoralized and we will keep resisting. Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So we're now joined by Artyom Liss. I wanted to start by asking your reflections on seeing what has happened to your country in the past two weeks. You know, I think the first emotion I felt was was of course absolute shock and um the inability to even imagine something like this happening was 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 really frankly overwhelming mostly because uh when we last spoke i um sort of said that i'm not a very good forecaster and generally my 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 predictions don't don't really pan out but as somebody who's got or who used to have a foot in both on both sides as it were um i've worked in russia and i've worked in ukraine so i think I know both sides of the story fairly, fairly well, or I thought so. I, I, I really thought that a full-on Russian invasion of Ukraine was, you know, really the stuff of fiction, really. I, I couldn't even begin to imagine something like that happening. And then, of course, as the situation escalated, as, th- as things got worse and worse, um, you know, the amount of messages you get from your Ukrainian friends and from your Ukrainian colleagues telling you about what's going on, telling you about how they're sheltering in basements, um, I was talking to a friend from school who said, well, we are sheltering in our basement with our disabled daughter, while our second daughter has volunteered to go and join the army. Wow. And you listen to something like this and you just think, you know, you, you don't even know what to say to something like yeah. this, do you? Um, now, a lot of the missiles, a lot of the attacks, a lot of the carnage has happened in my hometown in Kharkiv. Uh, which is in the northeast of the country, and I'm sure um, Romeo has already described what's been going on there. And that's the other element of it. You know, I, I, I feel a certain sense of shame, and that is really the only word I can use for, you know, sitting here in, in, in Tunbridge Wells in Kent um, and not being there and not trying to help the people of Kharkiv or indeed the people of Kiev or indeed the people of Kherson. Well, name, name any Ukrainian city you like. Um, it's it's just something that I find very, very hard to rationalize. And it's something that I personally find quite hard to deal with in a sort of rational, analytical manner. And, you know, when people with whom I work, when my clients, um, when, um, you know, my, my, my friends are asking me, what can we do to help Ukraine? What specifically needs to happen now? You know, it's, it's, it's very easy to say Ukraine needs arms. It's very easy to say Ukraine needs, uh, I don't know, first aid kits. I'm currently trying to put together a consignment of um, first aid kits for Ukrainian journalists. Um, But is that really helping the Ukrainian side that much? Or is that more sort of helping myself come to terms with thinking that, well, I'm not sitting here idly. I'm trying to do something, you know, however however little it may be. I really don't know. And, you know, this, this sort of mental anguish, which I'm trying to describe, it, it's of course completely pale, um, in comparison to what people in Kharkiv, what people in Kiev, what people elsewhere across Ukraine are facing, and indeed what the refugees who are trying to flee Ukraine are facing. Um, I, I really don't think anybody could have 
really predicted this level of carnage, this level of destruction, and frankly, this level of just complete madness. Yeah, and and I, you know, I just want to say, obviously, as someone who's got no personal connection to Ukraine, you know, it it it's uh, it's it's harrowing to hear the anguish in your voice, and and I can really understand uh, that feeling of of powerlessness. Now, you talked about that level of of madness, and in a way, that is the biggest question at the moment. I mean, not to get into discussions of of sort of mental sanity, but to try to understand where this goes if you're Vladimir Putin. Now, maybe he was badly advised. Maybe his intel was, was useless. Maybe he thought the Ukrainian leadership, in which he clearly had an incredibly low opinion, uh, and as it turns out, totally wrongly, maybe he thought they would just hightail it, you know, to some other safe place. That hasn't happened. And so we're now looking at a war of terrible destruction. You've talked about your home city of Kharkiv, and that may well be coming to Kiev in, in the next few days. Um, but where does this end if you are Vladimir Putin, if you're Russia? Because it seems pretty clear it doesn't end with a, with a surrender by Ukraine. I think you're asking two very separate questions there, Arthur. One is, where does it end if you're Putin? And then the other question is, where does it end if you're Russia? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do think that the world in which Mr. Putin currently lives is arguably so twisted that he, I think, still believes that he can prevail. And look, militarily, we have all had various... Um, urban warfare experts and general military experts saying that, of course, the Russian army is so much bigger than the Ukrainian army. Were Russia to throw everything it has at Ukraine, it probably will prevail. And I'm pretty sure that that is the world in which Mr. Putin is living. He is not the sort of person who would ever admit defeat. He is not the sort of person who would ever say, they got this wrong, let's sort of take a step back and, and sort ourselves out. I think if you are Putin, you will continue to push as much as you can. Um, famously, in the very first long interview he did as a president to um, Russian journalists who were at the time independent journalists, he said one of the strongest impressions from his childhood was seeing a cornered rat fight, fight for its life against a cat. And from the interview, you could sense that, that is, he associated himself with the rat, not the cat yeah. in that story. Um, so I think on a purely personal level, he will try to continue pushing as much as he can. And look, there's plenty of people in Russia, sad as it is, there's plenty of people in Russia who believe every single word that comes out of the Kremlin, who believe every single word that comes out of state television channels, etc., etc. Now, what it means for Russia minus Putin, for Russia sort of outside of Putin's immediate circle, that is a very, very different question. Now, for years, the Russians have lived in a world where um, you know, Moscow had some of the best restaurants in the world. Moscow had some of the flashiest cars in the world. And you could say whatever you liked about civil liberties, about the fact that if you go out to protest against um, Mr. Putin's rule, you immediately get detained, about the freedom of the press. You could say anything you liked about that, but so long as the Russians could go and spend their money in Europe, so long as the Russians could go and buy those flashy cars, so long as the Russians could dine in Michelin restaurants, None of that really mattered because they lived a very comfortable life or a lot of them lived a very comfortable yeah. life. Now, that is very, very rapidly changing. Whether or not this pressure that the West is currently putting to bear on Russia, whether or not that would actually feed through to the decisions which Russia makes politically and indeed militarily. Um, look, I think the whole world is hoping that it will. 
but ultimately Putin has created a world in which he has isolated himself from everything else so well that, frankly, I, I still have my doubts. Yeah. I want to bring in Romeo now. Artyom has talked about how, as a private citizen, albeit one who's you know intimately connected to, to the issues here, he's trying to find ways that he can make a difference. But of course, at the governmental level, uh, Western countries have done things that may have seemed improbable a, f- a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Germany doubling its military budget, just for example. However, it's not enough. It is not stopping the military convoy that's in, advancing on Kiev. So as a Ukrainian in Ukraine at the moment, what are your thoughts on this? We're hearing people talking about a no-fly zone that will bring NATO into this war. Maybe that's a, a legitimate request. What What are your views on what the West needs to do now? Honestly, I think it's a bit late to think what the West can do now because most of the strongest moves that the West could have taken should have been taken prior to invasion and deter it entirely. Now that war is in motion, it is historically very difficult to stop especially with Putin's rationale and his given his stated goals in this war. Um, As Artyom pointed out, he's isolated himself so well to the point where it seems like not even his inner circle, the people we saw uh, at the council meeting prior to his recognition, so-called recognition of the um, puppet authorities in in the Donbass, um, and we saw how they reacted to him as frightened little schoolchildren, instead of as at least, if not peers, at least near peers or advisors. Um, but instead, we see that Putin has created for himself a very strong bubble, and I don't believe that the West's usual tools will be able to impact him enough to change his decision-making. Um, should NATO step in? I mean... I do not want to see this conflict expand beyond Ukraine. Uh, As trite as that may seem, Russia is a nuclear power. Putin has brought his uh, nuclear deterrence um, units uh, to full readiness. And having this conflict spiral even further is an enormous risk that I cannot in good conscience ask anyone else to take. At the same time, I do want the war to stop, and I would welcome any possible aid. But this isn't a choice that I think can be made unilaterally or can be even made um, due to the wishes of the people here. This is a choice that leaders need to make for themselves, deciding what's right for their people um, and ultimately what's right for global security in the world. Yeah. Going back to the, the first sort of point I made there, a lot of people in the West are sort of congratulating themselves, and I imagine that feels a bit hollow from where you're sitting, Romeo. Uh, is there a space for optimism? That might seem like an inappropriate word, given what's happening. But that having run out of every other option, the West has finally realised that expansive authoritarian nationalism is a threat and is doing something about it. <laughs> um. 
I wouldn't exactly call it optimism. Um, instead, it scares me that all of these Western countries with their lauded intelligence services and their rational analyses and their legions of experts and think tankers, and of all of them, it seemed only the White House accurately predicted what Putin's actual intentions were. That's less optimism and more incredibly concerning um, for the decisions that they're going to make moving forward because their judgment clearly can no longer be trusted. If they needed an actual kinetic invasion to come to what to me seems like blindly obvious conclusions, then I have serious doubts about their ability to make optimal choices in any scenario, um, much less one that involves um, as we can see now, such an irrational actor is Russia. Yeah. I want to move over to Artyom now. To have a sense of the Russian population's response to this, of course, we can't generalize, but we've seen reports of protests. Many, many millions of Russians, of course, have family in Ukraine, have intimate connections to Ukraine, are probably uh, dismayed at what they're seeing. Do you think this can have an impact, given the degree to which Russia is now a highly controlled authoritarian state? Uh, or is this rather like some of the other waves of protests that have happened in recent years in Russia, something that will cause a few ripples for a few months and then dissipate? I think after that, it depends on the numbers. And I also think that it depends on how long this continues. As far as I know, over the last few days, uh, the Russian police have arrested more than 6,500 people or, or around 6,500 people for taking part in protests That is actually, across the country. That is actually a really high number, even for Russia, as it was 10 years ago, um, at the height of the protests in Moscow um, in 2011, a similar number of people uh, were detained or, or, or indeed arrested. Whether it can be sustained, I don't know. I think a lot of the Russians are as shocked as a lot of the people in the West. And, and I, I don't really think they know what they can do now. For many of them, it's now becoming a matter of saving their businesses, saving their, well, financials, saving their families from uh, the impact of the sanctions. A few of my very good friends who have cross-border businesses, you know, on, on, the, on the boundary of Europe and Russia or the UK and Russia or the US and Russia, uh, they're trying to see if they can move their business out of the country. They're trying to see if they can move their staff out of the country because everybody expects that things in Russia will become just as bad as the um, early 1990s economically. Will that stop President Putin? Will um, Mr. Putin's attack stop because the ruble collapses so far, because the Russian stock exchange is now virtually non-existent? Again, the only answer to that depends on what is happening inside that man's head. And he may well decide that his ideas of political grandeur and his ideas of the sort of historical mission that he's, in his view, trying to accomplish far outweigh all of the economic trouble and all of the isolation that Russia is forcing itself into. That may well be the case. And so long as people around him behave, as you said, uh, Romeo, as uh, school children who are terrified of him, that that will be what will continue to happen. Uh, a lot of the Russians are now talking about uh, whether there are any elements within the authorities, within the, the inner circle of Mr. Putin, whether there are any elements there who would want to get rid of his rule or, or even of him. 
uh, awful as it may sound, because, of course, as Romeo said, we wouldn't want any human being to come to harm. Um, and I don't know there are. I think people in Mr. Putin's inner circle are so closely connected to what he's been trying to do that I would be surprised if there was any sort of attack on his authority. So I would expect that Russia will become a much, much, much weaker country. Russia will become a country that's isolated from the rest of the world for quite some time. But so long as Mr. Putin remains in power, it will probably continue to push uh, the narrative and the action which we have seen over the last few days. Thank you, Artyom. I wanted to just pick up on on perhaps the sort of the penultimate point you made there, because that seems really important. There's a lot of talk about how the people around Putin might turn on him. But it seems to me what you're saying, and, and certainly from my, my own attempts to understand this picture, that everybody in that inner circle is completely committed to this course. And furthermore, uh, by definition, the way Putin has changed Russia over the years, it is not realistic for that to come from the outside. So are we right in believing that this isn't just about Putin? It's about the the Putin's people, uh, to use the title of a recent book, that are running the country and who have set up systems to enable them to continue to run the country. Well, I think key to this uh, answer is what happens with the oligarchs. And we have already, or, you know, the super rich Russians who control most of the country's finances. We have already seen two of them, um, Mr. Friedman and Mr. Deripaska, saying that they do not support this war. Uh, there are even some Russian Duma MPs who supported the um, so-called recognition of the self-proclaimed republics um, in the east of Ukraine who are now saying, well, we supported those republics. We do not support the war. Um, will there be a sort of wave of such statements that will change Mr. Putin's mind? And what if the oligarchs turn away from him and take their money away from him? That is a very good question. But I think from uh, two or three people to a wider swathe of dissent is, is, is a very, very long way. And I think we'll, you know, we can hope that uh, the Russians are taking their first steps along this road. But I think these are very tentative, very initial steps. And Artyom, uh, uh, mindful, uh, as you said yourself, you're there in Tunbridge Wells. And of course, Britain has played a central role in laundering Russian oligarch money, in providing professional services to Russia's kleptocratic elite. Uh, so if Romeo will forgive the, the slightly um, localized question, what do you think we in Britain need to be doing? Because it seems to me that uh, again, you know, this, the the horse has bolted, and now the government's shutting the stable door. But what can we do as a country that has been involved in such a pernicious way in enabling Russia? Look, the most obvious answer is, of course, to limit those Russians from being able to use this country as a safe haven for themselves and for their money. Whether or not uh, this is actually something that the government can and wants to do, I think we'll see over the next few days. The other thing that needs to happen, I believe is that the UK needs to open its borders to Ukrainian refugees. There is some talk about um, making this process simpler, making the process of obtaining a refugee status in this country simpler for the Ukrainians. But I think the initial response of this government, that was quite, quite surprising to me in the face of every, everything else that this country has been saying about how it supports Ukraine. And then, of course, the other thing that uh, this country is doing and I think needs to continue to do is just putting political pressure on Russia um, in terms of sanctions, in terms of uh, 
making political statements and encouraging businesses, international organizations to um, stop their dealings with Russia. And I think uh, one thing that uh, Boris Johnson appears to have got right is he very quickly escalated the sanction. And of course, uh, the prime minister himself is involved in now trying to formulate a better global response. Yeah. Romeo, if I can go back to you, we will direct our listeners to your podcast and uh, we will, of course, uh, put links to uh, credible organizations that people can support. But that isn't enough on its own. What, what can listeners to this podcast, people who care, people who are dismayed at the situation that has unfolded, what can they do? What would you like them to do? As, as, as inadequate and limited as that might be, what, what is your message? I've thought about it a lot. Um, I've been getting no small amount of requests about how people can support Ukraine. Obviously, as you mentioned, there's all the usual ways of of donating to organizations, donating to the Ukrainian army, um, and of course, just simply expressing your support on social media and boosting Ukrainian voices. Um, But I think one thing that hasn't been mentioned um, and would probably help a lot would be pressure on uh, elected representatives to take a stronger stand against Russia yeah. to uh, persuade or influence your elected representatives to push for harsher measures against Russia and for stronger support uh, for Ukraine, especially in my end of the political woods and I um, politically identify with the left. There has been an enormous, enormous, enormous lack of um, proper support for Ukraine. There's been a lot of uh, both sides is, uh, isms and a lot of, oh, how does this affect us? Or, oh, the West is so awful. Um, and I would say if you really are uh, shocked and dismayed by what is going on in Ukraine right now, then pressure your elected representatives, especially if you are a left-leaning political bent, to take a very strong stance against this. Uh, this war is probably one of the most nakedly evil things I've had the displeasure of seeing with my own eyes. Um, and the sooner it's stopped and the harsher the reaction is and the harsher the reaction the international community can bring to bear um, on this enormous violation of everything decent, um, I think the, the better the world would be going forward. So I want to thank Artyom and Romeo for joining us, particularly at this very challenging time. If you found this podcast helpful please consider backing us on Patreon so we can continue our work and spread the word to those you think might be interested. Many thanks. We'll speak again soon.